What's going on, FA Nation? Welcome back. Fantasy Alarms NASCAR DFS podcast. I'm Dan Malin, joined by the FSWA two-time NASCAR Writer of the Year, Matt Sells. Matt, we're coming off a, a pretty exciting Xfinity race at Miami, but then a pretty dull yet a race nobody saw coming. I feel like if you won money in the Cup Series race, you might not be good at NASCAR DFS. <laughs> Yeah, it was a really weird, like, who saw Busher leading that many laps? Yeah. Right? Like, let's put this in perspective. Roush hasn't had a top five at Miami in at least seven years mm-hmm. as a team, let alone, like, regardless of who's been in the car. They have not had a top five at Miami as a multi-car team in several years. Yet, Busher. Comes out of nowhere and leads, like, what, 80 laps? 70 laps? Something like that. Um, That was pretty weird. Uh, And then to see William Byron come from 31st and then run away and hide at the end of the race. Like, he was up by, what, four and a half seconds? Yeah, it's definitely one of those tracks where you see the leader benefit from the clean air, unlike any other. Um, I was actually thinking that... Just based on what we saw with the Xfinity race on Saturday, I thought we were going to see pitch strategy, tire management. I thought we would see more of that come into play. And it just it never seemed like it was such a boring race that you never actually saw the real strategic aspect of Miami. Right. And it was there was perfect green flag, like really long green flag runs Mm -hmm. to let tire strategy and pitch strategy play out. And, you know, we thought going in that based on the way the the um, qualifying formula had set the field, that position differential was going to play a role. And it did because Byron started 31st and won the race. And, um, you know, Martin Truex started in the mid-teens and finished up there. and uh, Or sorry, he started, what, 11th or 9th? But uh, Larson started 17th, finished 4th. Um, but yeah, it was just, and then let's talk about Larson deciding this was the year he wasn't going to ride the wall at, <laughs> at Homestead, the place where we count on him riding the wall. Right. <laughs> he goes, yeah, no, I'm going to keep it a car length off the wall. Um, I mean, he still moved up well, but we didn't see the fastest laps or the, uh, laps led from him that we're used to seeing. It was just a weird, um, just a really weird race. Like, I feel like we, we were on the correct guys. They just didn't really do what they were, what we really expected them to do. Like, right. Blaney never really did anything. Eric Jones never really did anything. Um, De Benedetto did to a degree, but not as much as he could have. Um <laughs> So why don't we pivot to what happened before the race? Because uh, after tech inspection and everything and all that happened, we find out that Alex Bowman, I forget what he was priced, but he was starting 13th. We found out he was going to the rear. He was like, I want to say he was like 8,800, like 8,500 maybe on DK, somewhere in there. Um, So he was sub 9K, but then we find out that about 45 minutes to an hour before the race due to a technicality. Denny Hamlin goes from starting on the pole to starting dead last. 
But we, and we had a pretty good question in the NASCAR DFS chat earlier today on Wednesday, uh, and it was, what is your approach to drivers in the GPP when something like that happens? And you have two different scenarios that at least we can stack them up against. Right. For me personally, more times than not, when I find out a driver is going to the back of the field, I find myself wanting to get a little more ownership on them, especially in Bowman's case. When the news on Bowman came out, I initially had him in eight lineups, and I dropped it to four. But then I thought, well, if everyone's doing what I'm doing right now, then this might be a good leverage point to actually get more ownership on Bowman. And so I initially had him in eight lineups. I went down to four. But then I went back up to, I think, 11 by the time everything was all said and done. He didn't quite hit 5x value, but I knew that he was still – I wasn't counting on him to win. I was just kind of hoping that he would get into the top 10. Um, so I got, I picked up ownership on him. It was an okay call. It wasn't, it didn't help my day or kill me by any means. Uh, but then you have someone like Denny Hamlin, who is one of the best drivers in the cup series. He was drastically underpriced for a guy that was already starting on the pole and he had to go from first to 40th. Now from there, pretty much you need Denny Hamlin to get back up to the front and still dominate laps and potentially win the race to hit value. But the weird thing on Sunday was that his ownership didn't really budge at all. Like I went from having Hamlin in 14 lineups to having him in four or five lineups. And I was still stunned when the slate locked ownership numbers came out and he was still 30% owned. And I was a little surprised by that. I thought maybe I was chalking that up to just people not getting the news. Um, But typically when a guy is going from the pole where if he loses any kind of position differential, like you can start a guy that's on the pole and hope that he just finishes in the top five, top seven, as long as he's giving you some dominator points early on or just throughout the race in general. But when Denny Hamlin's going from starting first to starting 40th and he's already accruing negative PD at the beginning of the race, that should force more people to get off ownership. And I kept I kept some shares of Denny Hamlin because he's Denny Hamlin and he was way too cheap to begin with. So I wanted to get your take on that as well. So it's like typically when news breaks that a guy's going to the back of the field, depending on the starting spot, more than likely I will gain ownership uh, as a leverage play against the field because I just assume that a lot of people panic and jump ship. Uh, I made a bad call this week with Denny Hamlin, though, because I should have just faded all lineups entirely um, but I thought it's still Denny Hamlin, he's got to do something, right? Yeah, so this was a great question. Um, and I kind of laid it out a little bit differently because for me, it's going to depend on the track, it's going to depend on the driver, and it's going to depend on the price, right? I think what could have driven Denny Hamlin's still fairly high uh, uh, draft percentage at like almost 30%, you said on DK was the fact that we've seen his teammate start from the back of the field, like, supposed to be starting top three and start in the back of the field and still win and dominate, right? He's done it twice in a row at Dover. He did it at a race, I think, last year, the only win he got. He started, he got kicked to the back of the field and won it, if I'm not mistaken. So, like, I guess there's a belief that a, Joe Gibbs had already had a very good weekend at the road course. They typically run very well at Homestead. Denny had shown that he moved up through the field well last year because even though he started on the pole, he did drop back at one point 
due to pit strategy and moved back up. Um, so I think that that could have driven it. Either that or people just did not get the news that Hamlin moved to the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and we won't really touch on why, but he explained it on Twitter. It's basically a technicality. Um, that they it was kind of a catch twenty two. If they didn't report the issue, then they get caught at the end of the race, and then it's a problem. If they do report it, then it gets counted as a unapproved adjustment, and they have to go to the back. Um, but yeah, I definitely moved off of Denny. And apologies, our chat apparently was not working all that well on Sunday, so I don't oh, know. I forgot about that. Yeah, that. Uh, saw my note, but I did post in the chat to get off of Hamlin, and I adjusted rankings and projections. Because, yeah, even though he was less than 10K on DK, to get 5X, he was still going to need 50, basically 50 points, right? Well, even if he had started on the pole and won, that's a flat 45 points right there. So you're going to need him to, to lead laps and get fastest laps. So if the argument is, well, he gets fastest laps moving up to the field and there's 267 laps to do it, he still finishes, like, top five. If he gets enough fastest laps, you can make up for the negative position differential. But that likely wasn't going to happen. Now, in Bowman's case, we were not expecting the dominator points from Bowman, right? All he really needed was, like, a top seven, top six finish to hit value. So keep getting higher on Bowman made sense because you don't need the dominator points. If he just mm-hmm. moves up and finishes higher than 13th, he's giving you what you expected from him anyway. Now, in terms of uh, course style, let's say for sake of argument that this had happened last week at the road course. I would have completely gotten off of Denny Hamlin. Right. If it's Chase Elliott, I probably just narrow my ownership because it's Chase Elliott on a road course. Right. But there's not enough laps in that race for the pole sitter to really get back up and do what you need him to do. The reason why less people did it at Homestead is it's a mile and a half that allows passing so you can move up through the field. And it's 267 laps. So you figure there's still enough time for him to get up front and lead like. I don't know, 50 laps, and you're all set. But typically, now, I will preface this by saying this will change throughout the season. You will have to pay attention because in the races that actually have qualifying sessions, if a guy fails tech inspection after the qualifying session, there is a chance that his qualifying time could be disallowed and he will be scored from starting in the back of the pack. Okay, it gets and I will let you know when that happens. We'll be all over it in chat and in the content. But if that's the case, then you load up on a guy who has his qualifying time disallowed because when they're they're counted as starting 40th, then it's a free play because they're getting automatic position differential. So that's the strategy with that. All right. Let's turn our attention to Las Vegas. Yeah. Last week with Miami, we kicked off uh, the run of mile and a half that NASCAR is leading us on. Uh, we have another one this week. This one is more of the traditional mile and a half trials of uh, that we'll see many times this year. You'll see it at Atlanta, Texas, Kansas. Uh, go ahead and just tell us what we're in for. 
So yeah, this one is, again, it's a mile and a half. Um, this track is not as wide or as passable as Homestead. The track surface is also not nearly as worn, so you won't see tire wear um, be that much of a factor. Speed will be more of a factor here. Um, and track position. You will hear the phrase track position quite a lot this weekend on the broadcasts from Dan and I. Uh, basically what that means is guys who are up front tend to be able to stay there because this is a track where it's harder to pass. Um, and because tire wear doesn't really happen, it doesn't force nearly as many uh, green flag pit stops uh, to, to swap out tires. So, um, you know, it, it's... I'd have to look up the numbers because I don't have them off the top of my head, but it's one in which the top five starting spots have done very well here in terms of winning um, and or finishing highly unless they have some sort of, you know, mechanical issue or a crash. Um, it's also one you don't see very many crashes at. Um, so, yeah, we're in for that. We do have a triple header weekend. There's trucks, Xfinity, and Cup um, all this weekend, all at Vegas. Um, again, it's a 267-lap race for the Cups, uh, for the Cup cars, a little bit less than that for each of Xfinity and Truck. And, as Dan will touch on, it'll be tricky to tell which truck you're looking for in the truck race, thanks to uh, Marcus Lemonis. <laughs> Did he ever... Okay, so, uh, yeah, Marcus Lemonis, he's the owner of Camping World, right? Yeah, he's the CEO of Camping World, which is the title sponsor of the Truck Series overall did uh, he ultimately settle on a driver that he is willing to put a wrap on for the truck like seven. Oh, there's seven of them there's like i don't know five or seven of them he basically tweeted out and said hey any truck guys that are looking for a sponsorship or who are unsponsored for vegas uh dm me and we'll hit something up and then he offered a bonus structure basically like hey we'll wrap your car and then you get 15k if we wrap you get 25k if you finish uh like top 5 and 50k if you win or something. So there's like I don't know five or six trucks that are going to be wrapped in the camping world blue and yellow. <laughs> so it'll be fun to uh for them spotters up on top of the uh <laughs> the grandstands at Vegas. All right. Well, <laughs> That is actually pretty intriguing. I actually didn't know that they settled on any drivers. But uh, the big thing for the truck race Friday night, this is a Kyle Busch race. Yes. Uh, if you're new to NASCAR DFS, you will see Kyle Busch racing a couple times in the truck series at the Xfinity level. Um, this is also his home track. He likes to put on a good show. Uh, he's not running Xfinity. He's only running the truck series. So when Kyle Busch is in the lower series, uh, typically you, you – it's not typically. You will always see him priced up. He will typically start further back. Um, Friday night, he's going to be starting 29th, and he's only priced at $15,000. Now, you may be saying to yourself, $15,000 is a lot. But when Kyle Busch is in these series, he is hands down the most elite driver imaginable, and he easily works his way through the field. $15,000 current is, in my opinion, not enough for Kyle Busch. I didn't even think $16,000 was enough. Yeah, Dan was begging DK to put him at eighteen five. dollars uh, Well, eighteen five. dollars if you think about it, that's 92.5. 5X would be 92.5 points, which is it's, which is reasonable because he's done it. Like he's exceeded 100 points easily at this level. Um, now, my approach with Kyle Busch is that typically in the past – 
I've always done 20 lineups when he's racing the cup or Xfinity or the truck or Xfinity level, and I've done 10 with Kyle Busch, 10 without. I certainly don't recommend a complete fade of Kyle Busch. You need to have a, f- a few lineups with him in there. Uh, so for me on Friday, I'm going to be doing the. I'm probably just going to max enter the happy hour. Uh, it's 20 bucks just to max enter it. I'll probably do six to eight Kyle Busch lineups. The reason being is that when you have a Kyle Busch slate, you're going to not just, you're not going to realize that ownership is going to be heavy on Kyle Busch. You're going to realize that owning Kyle Busch forces you to own many of the same drivers, especially in cash games. Uh, Kyle Busch could easily be owned 80 to 90% in cash games. For GPPs, it's probably going to be around 50 to 60, possibly even up to 65%. Uh, He is just that much of a lock. He's very popular. Like, again, you cannot fully fade him. You definitely need to get a little exposure because even if he wins the race, he's hitting 73 points on DraftKings, which is pretty close to getting to 5x value. And assuming that he wins, you have to imagine that he's getting fastest laps. He's getting laps led as well. So he's going to be collecting dominator points as well. Can he get to 6x value in 90 points? Sure. Um, but he's he's easily in play uh, for 5x value. And I think that for the truck and Xfinity races, because there's less laps, you know, don't focus on trying to get 5x value out of each guy. I think this weekend, you know, you can just try to, like, build the best lineup that you possibly can just to get the most points in general. I'm not sure if you had anything that you wanted to touch on. Uh, I figured with this being Kyle Busch's first race, we should just – dedicate the truck strategy to just talking about Kyle Busch and how to approach it. Yeah. I mean, he was so good at, uh, trucks last year that they set up a wager, um, for any other cup regular to go down there, go down to the trucks and go, and some takers. Um, Chase did it and beat him at what? Richmond or Darlington. He beat him somewhere. Um, and um, had to raise him clean. Couldn't wreck Kyle Busch out of the race to beat him. Had to raise him clean. Because, um, yeah, Kyle Busch, I think, went down to the truck series last year for, what, five races and won four of them. And Chase Elliott beat him in the other one. Um, so, and I think Marcus Lemonis was part of that wager, too, if I'm not mistaken. He put that was up, at Charlotte. Uh, yeah, was it Kevin Harvick and Marcus Lemonis each put up $50,000 for anybody that could go beat Kyle Busch? Yeah, it was something like that. Um, and then it, it all went to a good cause. Chase Elliott didn't pocket it. It went to, like, COVID relief, I believe. Um, but, yeah, he's really good. He's going to be starting 29th um, because the truck just doesn't have that many owner points. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch Kyle Busch. Um, Vegas. The last few things I'll say is that just so you get an eye or an understanding of how good he is, he's won the last three truck races at the f- spring uh, Las Vegas race for the trucks. Uh, Austin Hill has won the last two fall races at Vegas, but Kyle Busch doesn't race in the fall because that's for the playoffs. Um, right. And I will note that $15,000 is actually cheap enough where you may not necessarily land on all the same drivers as everyone else. Uh, there are plenty of chalky options this week across all three slates. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Kyle Busch starting at the rear. Uh, Parker Kligerman is also starting at the rear. Austin Hill is starting at the rear for trucks. So there's, while I thought he would be between sixteen and 17000 I hope DK would have gone bold and made him eighteen k. 
there is room to actually differentiate your Kyle Busch lineups this week. Um, Kyle Busch, even at 15000 is just too cheap. Now we'll pivot to Xfinity. Uh, Tyler Reddick is back. He's starting 40th because he got DQ'd from second place last week. Um, if you're frustrated because DK didn't take away his points, get used to it. They they finalized their standings and their scoring based on the results. They don't wait for post-race tech inspection. Now, let's clarify that because you don't have to deal with it in Xfinity because FanDuel doesn't cover Xfinity. But in Cup, FanDuel waits for post-race tech inspection to be done. Mm-hmm. If a guy gets DQ'd in post-race tech inspection on FanDuel, that guy drops his points and gets scored to where he is scored by NASCAR, which would be dead last. DK says, okay, they dropped the checker. It's good. They may adjust a few guys based on places that get solidified after the race, but they're not going to take away points for a guy who gets DQ'd a la Tyler Reddick last week. Um, so Reddick is only 11,600 starting dead last. He cannot get you any negative PD. Um, so even if he, if he wins the race, he's easily going to return probably six X value. Um, some other popular plays are going to be Noah Gregson. Once again, he was, he was in line to win the race. And then David Starr blew a tire, went up the track and Gregson got into his rear. Uh, that opened the door for a pretty exciting finish at, Miami last week that saw Myatt Snyder get his first career win. Uh, keep in mind, this is Noah Gragson's home track of Las Vegas. Uh, he, If he wasn't going to win last week, he's definitely going to bring back the Checkers or Wreckers moniker this weekend. Uh, he's 11,300 starting 34th. Another great play as well. Um, Ty Dillon, 10,200 starting 20th. Another great play. Uh, one driver that I do want to note, uh, if you want to go down Narrative Street, Michael Annette is 8,600 starting P13. Uh, his father passed away earlier this week. Um, so if you want to possibly look for a narrative street, really go all out. Michael Annette is typically a guy that when I write him in the playbook, I always mention he's probably going to finish 7th, 8th, or ninth. Um, if he finishes 7th, he's probably hitting 5x value. But this could be a week where, you know, maybe he's got a little more, uh, you know, lead in his foot to push the car to a better finish. Um can't say he'd win outside of a super speedway, but he could put on a really good show uh, for his father who passed away. And with that, Matt, I will pivot to you so we can start breaking down the cup race. Yeah, so, you know, they, they use the qualifying formula uh, for the cup race to set the lineup just like they did for Xfinity and Truck. And we get Kevin Harvick on the pole this week. Uh, we were talking beforehand that it, that we think they changed the formula a little bit this year because last year when they did it, once they came back from the COVID break, it seemed like if you won the race, it was like a make it, take it type situation where if you won the race one week, you were going to be on the pole the next week. That's just how it worked out. Well, this year McDowell won at the Daytona 500 started second at the road course. Bell won the road course started third at Homestead. Uh, Willie Byron won at Homestead and he's starting second at Vegas. So it's just kind of interesting <clears throat> that the formula is not spitting out pole sitters for winners. Um, so Kevin Harvick's on the pole. That could be dangerous for the field. Harvick runs pretty well here. Um, in the last four races, he's had two poles. Um, you know, his average starting spot is P2. His average finish is P6. <laughs> 
Uh, all four have been in the top ten. He's led the second most amount of laps here um, in that span, only behind Joey Logano by about five laps a race. Harvick has the better driver rating at 121.2 in that span, and by far has the best average running position at less than, like, he runs, his average running position is 4.9 over the last four races here. So that's really quite impressive from Kevin Harvick. Um, it's going to make him a fairly popular play once again for GPPs. Are you a Not little sure. surprised that he's kind of priced down? 9700 he He's under ten. So yeah. that's the second week in a row at a mile and a half where the pole sitter is under ten grand. Um, Denny was like nine six last week on FanDuel, and Harvick is ninety seven hundred this week. So that's kind of surprising. Um, if he finishes top five and leads about sixty laps, which he's more than capable of doing, he should hit value uh, for you. Um, so that's I mean Kyle Busch is the most expensive guy on DK. Again, not sure really. We'll touch on that. Not that surprising. Um, he's starting what fourteenth. Um, so he's got some built-in PD. Not as much as in the trucks, but again, it's also his home track. He's done pretty decently here um, in the last few races. So he's definitely somebody to pay attention to. Truex has, I mean, it's a mile and a half, and it's Truex, right? They put yep. up the stat last week that I think Truex has run something like 150 combined um, mile and a half tracks in his career, and he finishes top 10 in more than half of them. Uh, that's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> that's a pretty ridiculous clip that is really, really hard to duplicate. So, um, those are a few of the top guys we're looking at. Um, there is going to be chalk here in the cup race as well. Mm-hmm. We've got some pretty big names starting outside the top 25. Ryan Blaney starting 26th. Fast Pasta 27. Eric Almarola 28. Eric Jones 29. Matty D is starting 30th. Uh, Corey LaJoy with a sweet looking paint scheme is starting 33rd. Could be pretty intriguing. Timmy Hill literally can't cost you position differential at 38, although he had an engine issue and went out pretty quick uh, at Homestead, which was disappointing. Um, so those are a few chalky names you'll see, especially Eric Jones on FanDuel. Oh, my God. Some name reason, <laughs> FanDuel priced Eric Jones at $4,700 this week. No, I'm not making this up. You can literally go check the FanDuel price thing and just keep scrolling because it's going to take you a while to get there. Um, Yeah, Eric Jones is $4,700. The guys that are cheaper than Eric Jones is Michael McDowell, who's starting fifth at $4,500. Haley, Ryan Priest, Anthony Alfredo, Corey LaJoy, Timmy Hill, PJ McLeod, Cody Ware, Smith Lee, Balicki, Gason, Hauf. That's not the company you want to keep, really. <laughs> um, so, one guy I do want to talk to you about, though, is Michael McDowell. Go for it. Do we think this is real for McDowell? He's had um, straight top tens. Now, we can debate how he's pulled <clears throat> off those top tens, because the road course, I was pretty sure he wasn't going to finish in the top ten. He went off the track in the first corner, but he managed to pull out a top ten, and then Homestead... Last week, he pulled out another top 10. Do we think that's real? Like, when are we going to take him seriously? Um, 
it's it, from a DFS perspective, it's hard to take him seriously just because do we ignore 14 years of just bland results? And, and that's kind of being generous. Uh, do we ignore that just because he's three races into a season where, you know, he won the Daytona 500 and he's pulled off some solid results. Now we'll say this again, you know, we're not getting practice right now. We're not getting qualifying. You know, we're seeing Kyle Bush get frustrated with that because he, he still can't seem to, get the right setup in a car that he likes. I mean, yeah, we can talk him up as how he's performed well at Vegas. Um, but, you know, he's the one with the Vegas resume, uh, and yet he's the Bush brother I don't want to play. I'm actually more intrigued to play Kurt this week, who historically sucks at Vegas. But, again, well, circling Kurt's back to Kurt's looked a lot better than the 18. Exactly. So it's it's <laughs> just like it's it comes down to the cars that are looking better. And McDowell, without practice, without qualifying, he's had a really good-looking car. Kurt Busch has had a great-looking car as well. So it is tougher to read because with, with practice and qualifying, we can look at the speeds, we can look at qualifying times and starting spots. But, you know, we're, again, like last year, we're just going into races blind, not really knowing anything. Um, but it, it's certainly benefited other drivers. Like other drivers are just coming in with the better setups. And and they're it, it's leveling the playing field more than ever. Yeah, and it's definitely nice to there's a lot of media talk this week about the the uh different faces up front that we haven't seen before. Um, you know, like a Michael McDowell with three top tens, like Busher. Uh Busher leading, I don't know, sixty, seventy laps last week and looking like the car to beat for quite a while, and then he wound up I don't even remember where he finished. It was like the mid teens, I think. Um he faded late. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely nice to say, and for that matter, um, his teammate, uh, Ryan Newman had a really nice run going mm-hmm. at Homestead. Um, he was top four at one I think point. He finished in the top 10. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just checking seven. last year's Vegas race. Um, we saw Kyle Busch start second. Halfway through the race, he was 14th. With 10% of the laps left to go, he was 18th, and then he finished 6th. So he was kind of all over the place last last year. And the reason I'm looking at last fall in Vegas is because that was the one without practice. Mm-hmm. Last spring's Vegas race, they had practice because it was the second-to-last race before they shut down um, for the covid break kurt bush won last year started ninth and won this year he's starting this race he's starting seventh and he's looked like a top five guy every single week with that car right now oh, i remember last year's vegas race because we were talking about how much kurt bush struggles with vegas yeah, he and then the he goes out and wins. Then, he won, then, he the, then he won the race um because just historically kurt bush has not been good at vegas like historically his home track has not been good to give you an idea, even with even with the win last year, his average finish in the last four Vegas races is 17.5. <laughs> right? So, like, he won and he looks good now, but I'm still not sold on, on Kurt Busch at Vegas. Um, so those are a couple of the guys we're looking at. Um, obviously, we'll fill you in more with the track breakdown, rankings, projections. Can we talk uh, strategy really quick? Like, what are you? Sure. What should you be targeting for lineup structure? I know we normally talk about that, but I think we glossed over. So last week, for a mile and a half, we were kind of in the we were kind of in agreement that it's 
you know, look for two potential dominators and then target PD. But with so much chalk in the back, are you maybe looking for just that one dominator and then PD plays? Or are you still looking for two dominators this week? Um, probably going to take a similar approach to last week because last week we had a lot of chalk in the back too, if you remember, because yeah. we had Reddick at 35, we had Byron 31, we had Maddie D at 37. Um, Eric Jones was back there too, right? Or he was, I guess he was 18th. Yeah, he was 18th. Um, there was at least another guy that was like in the upper 20s, um, that was back there who was kind of chalk. So, taking now to be clear, Homestead is a lot easier of a track to pass on than Vegas. Vegas, there it's very tough, um, to pass here, typically speaking. Um, although you do get guys that can move up, um, since. The spring race in 2014, which keep in mind, Vegas was a once a year track uh, until like 2018. Um, the winners at Vegas since the spring of 2014 have started second, 18th, fourth, second, second, 13th, 10th, 24th, fifth, and ninth. So there's quite a bit of top 10 guys in there, right? There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of those guys started in the top 10 uh eight started in the top 15 so we're still talking about if you want the winner we're we're needing to get guys up front um but laps led here can be split pretty evenly uh between a few guys so i would say you could do a pretty even balance between maybe for a cash build, I'd go one Dominator and PD. And for a GPP build, I'd probably go two Dominators and the rest moderate PD upside. All right. Well, Matt, uh, pretty solid breakdown. Be on the lookout for Matt's track breakdown, his playbook on Sunday. Uh, my truck playbook will be out Friday morning. Uh, the truck race is late on Friday. It's 9 p.m. on Friday night, Eastern Time. Yeah, you got to keep in mind because Vegas is in the Pacific time zone. Yeah. So I am, I'm like not staying up for that. Six or place. seven, their I'm time. I'm not going to make it. Not going to make it. <laughs> um, and then uh, Xfinity Playbook, that's just your typical Saturday afternoon race. They don't, they, they, they accommodate me. So I appreciate that. Uh, but Matt, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you this week with Vegas and best of luck to the FA Nation. Best of luck, Evan Nation. Let's turn around and go see some more commas this week.